Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am super excited for another episode of the More Than Corporate podcast. The guest that I have on the show this week is Dr. Yishai. He's a licensed psychologist based in New York City with years of experience working with patients on issues ranging from personal to relational to work and meaning. He frequently works with business owners, leaders, and employees, helping them define and pursue their goals, both inside and outside work. Yishai and I met through a networking group that we are both in. And you guys know my passion for the way that the mind works and NLP stuff and all of this. And Yishai just takes that to a whole new level with his psychology background and his degree and his practice. And I loved this conversation. I think that we dig into so much amazing stuff about emotions and that Yishai really drops a ton of value. So I would love to hear your feedback and be able to forward that on to Yishai. I think that this is going to be a super, super powerful and valuable episode. Before we jump into that, I want to take just a moment to remind you guys that Thrive is coming up. It's going to be May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd at the MGM here in Las Vegas. And you guys, when I started my podcast, I went to Thrive before my podcast launched. So towards the beginning of my podcast, you have an episode with a recap of Thrive. It's one of the first solo episodes that I did. And it really changed my perspective on what entrepreneurship was about and what we should be doing as business owners and how we can change the world. This conference to me started the real passion that I have for this entrepreneurial journey. And it did so in a few different ways. Like I got to meet people from areas and backgrounds that I normally wouldn't interact with. And I got to see people doing things that prior to this conference, I didn't realize was a possibility. It changed my perspective on what could be accomplished because I saw people doing things that I had never considered as possible before. This year is going to be amazing. We have some really, really cool speakers. And one of my favorites is going to be Chris Voss, the author of Never Split the Difference. I just finished that book and I'll be doing a solo episode on it soon. But Chris, along with so many amazing, fantastic other speakers are going to be there, as well as the opportunity to be able to network with entrepreneurs, expand your perception of what is possible in business and just grow to the next level. So if you are a business owner or entrepreneur who is looking to be able to connect with like-minded people who want to make a difference in the world and be able to share experiences and stories and build lasting connections with those individuals and just grow your business, then Thrive is a place that you need to be. I do have an affiliate link for Thrive and I will post it in the show notes. If you are coming, you can click on the link, get your ticket, and hopefully I will see you at Thrive. Let me know if you do order your ticket because I would love to connect with you at Thrive. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this episode with Dr. Yishai. Yishai, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. 
I am excited to have you. So Yishai and I have had a couple of opportunities to connect through the networking group that we're both a part of. And every time that I talk to him, I'm just amazed at the knowledge and passion that he has for his field. And I'm super excited to share that with you. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear his story. Yishai, why don't we start with just a little bit of information about where you're from, what it was like for you growing up and why you decided or or whether you always knew that psychology was going to be the place for you? Those are really fantastic questions. I'll try to take them one at a time. Uh, so I was born in California in Los Angeles. Uh, my family is Persian and I also grew up Jewish Orthodox. So there's a nexus of things that come along with that, um, some of which were really, really fantastic and some of which were challenges. Something I think that is really important for me and my own life path is that I was born a sensitive kid. And it's interesting because it wasn't into my, until my mid twenties um, that it was the first time I kind of heard of that idea that maybe I'm just sensitive, genetically speaking. It's been a real big driver for my life. Uh, from when I was really, really young, I'd have really big reactions to things and my body would react really big and my emotion system would react really big and handling and dealing with feelings was just extremely challenging for me and i can only imagine how difficult that is for my family i was for my family for the my attempts at developing friendships uh, there were just so many parts of my life that were really touched by and affected by that i think it was you know when i was seven was a time that it really became very clear to me. I was in a kind of playroom with some of my friends and my brother, who's a year and exactly a week older than me. So he's very close in age. Um, and we were playing around on the pool table and just with a bunch of other stuff. And I had a moment where I got really angry, um, upset about something, which was very trivial. It wasn't really a big deal. I got so angry that I picked up a pool ball and I chucked it so hard straight at my brother's head. And the wow. moment it left my fingertips, yeah, the moment it left my fingertips, my brain was already exploding with all these different feelings. Like I was petrified that I was actually going to hit it uh, <laughs> because it's a pool ball. And we were, I was like seven, I rather eight. Like we weren't that big, but I pitched it as hard as I could. I, you know, I think if there was like a baseball uh, scout there, I might have ended up in the major leagues at some point because <laughs> um, I, I just, I gave it everything I had from my arms down to the, my toes. It was crazy. And the, the reason that I know that is because it really, it tore this giant crater through the wall behind him. And fortunately, his reflexes were fast enough or he saw it coming that it didn't end up actually making contact with him. How old but, was your brother at this point? Were you older or younger than him? So my brother's older than me. Okay. Um, and he was also way bigger than I am. Like I was a small kid. I was a really small kid, like underweight. And my brother was a big kid. Um, I mean, he was taller than me, I think at that point already by six inches or a foot. And like he hit his growth spurt faster. He's, so to give you a sense of this, my brother's like 6'2", uh, and I'm 5'10". Okay. He'd be pushing 5'10". And that's us as adults. Like when we were younger, he, he grew taller faster than I did. Um, and I know because I kept benchmarking it. I'm like, okay, he's in, when he was in like ninth grade, he was five, seven. And I kept benchmarking it being like, okay, am I going to get there? Am I going to get there? 
and I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, having an older brother was actually really, really amazing experience, very challenging. And I imagine I wasn't an easy brother. Um, but it's also amazing because I had someone who was just a little bit ahead of me in the developmental curve, who was just a little bit smarter, just a little bit bigger, but not too much that I didn't think I could be that. And I got incredible ambition from that. I got really, really excited about learning, about growing, about uh, getting smarter, about getting more skilled at things. Um, we used to, my brother and I used to have competitions about who can do math problems faster, like as we were walking around with our dad and our dad was really great about that. So having an older brother was actually really fantastic in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And you know what comes to my mind, and I, I'm so excited to hear the rest of your story. What comes to my mind with um, what you just said is so much along the lines of the entrepreneur world as well, because we have these people that are like giants in our industry. And mm -hmm. we look at them and we're like, wow, I could never make that happen. But then we have people that are just farther along on our journey that are able mm -hmm. to give us the insight that we think, okay, I can learn from them. I could do that. And then eventually mm -hmm. we just keep upping our game and the caliber of people that we're learning from. And all of a sudden we're learning from and hanging out with those giants. And so it's interesting the way that you described what it was like to have an older brother. Cause I feel like that translates so much into what it's like to grow in the personal development entrepreneur world. Yeah, I think it's totally the case. Uh, in a lot of ways, I really feel like my brother has been a mentor to me even though it's not like we always did have those conversations, certainly not when we were seven and eight, we weren't having conversations about, you know, how I can uh, learn from his greatness and, and how I can become a better person. But it was a very natural set of comparisons. And it's interesting. There's actually a lot of psychology behind this. When we compare ourselves to someone who we see as unattainable in where they are in their success or in what we perceive to be their success, we have this real tendency to just kind of tell ourselves, well, oh, I don't have that, so there's no way I'll get there. And it's actually the worst kind of comparison to make. Uh, it's the most discouraging type of comparison. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that, but suffice it to say that making those types of comparisons are not frequently very helpful. It's way more helpful to see people who are closer to us, a little further ahead, or to see, even if we're making comparisons to people who are much further ahead, to see them when they were only a little further ahead than we were at that time in their kind of developmental journey or arc uh, that isn't too far ahead, that isn't unattainable, because that really gives us something to aspire to. Absolutely. So you're with your brother and you realize that you have found a new way to let go of your emotions that may not be <laughs> so healthy. And yeah. how does that translate for you as you're, because I mean, you're at a time seven or eight years old where you're trying to figure out like how to deal with your emotions to begin with. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you're the psychological brain in this conversation, but <laughs> seven or eight is where we really start to figure out or realize that we have emotions that we can deal with and figuring out what those mean for us. Yeah, so, so what did that mean for you and how did you handle that? The, the one thing to keep in mind is between seven and nine years old is it's really kind of traditionally seen as an awkward period for kids. Uh, and my own understanding of it is, and I've worked with a lot of kids, is that right between seven and nine years old is when we start to get that self-reflection. That's when kids start to think about themselves in context of their peers. That's when 
we start to understand what it means when somebody puts me down, uh, not just how I feel, but what it means in terms of how socially, where I fit socially in the pecking order or the hierarchy. And even if it's not a hierarchy, it's about how other people view me. And that's when we start to notice that we get that insight. And so that's also usually when shame starts to show up. And especially for actually young girls, between seven and nine is when self-esteem goes from being really high and trying lots of stuff to tanking and just really not trying as many things, uh, which I'm sure anyone who's been on an entrepreneurial journey knows that feeling where your <laughs> self-esteem takes a big hit and, and you're really feeling discouraged and you feel like, oh gosh, am I, is anyone around me even going to think that I'm real anymore um, or that I can do this? Um, and the roots of that really are at that age. It's not that we don't feel emotions earlier, but that's when we start to self-reflect on it. And for me, that was the moment that I realized that my emotions can be explosive. They can be dangerous. They can hurt people. They can hurt me. They can hurt people that I love and care about. And what I kind of took from that, and I tore out of that room crying and packed full of adrenaline, anger, and fear. I mean, my brother was much bigger than me, so I knew he was going to come after me at some point. He was going to either have words or something else, uh, you know, talking for him when it, when it came to addressing <laughs> what happened. It's such, a, it's such a complex thing. I mean, I think most of us see emotions as being really difficult and not always very clear and so hard to make sense of and even harder to work with. And, and there's some that we wish we had more and some that we want to get rid of. And at that time, I just, I told myself, these emotions are so dangerous. This thing called emotions can really hurt us. And I don't want to have them. I, and I started treating them like they are dangerous. I mean, I, either I was putting on kid gloves or I was trying to give them the tough love. And what that, where that took me was over the next eight years, I spent just all of that time and tons of energy trying to shut down, trying not to let myself feel. I had this thought in my head and there was this kind of switch that I would turn. When I kind of flipped that switch, it was like, no, I'm a robot. I'm not going to feel. I'm going to choose not to feel. And I actually got so good at this that I was very frequently able to turn that switch. Now, there are real consequences to that. But suffice it to say, I got extremely good at that, <laughs> very skilled at it, uh, because I figured emotions are dangerous. I don't understand them. They, they don't make sense. And if I can't figure out how to deal with them, I need to turn them off. Or I need to get rid of them. That's so interesting and actually ties into a conversation that I was having in my Facebook page with some people yesterday. Um, I don't know if you saw the post from Trent Shelton, but he posted, and I would love your input on this, he posted a comment that um, something along the lines of if you Oh, right here. You have to train your mind to be stronger than your emotions or else you'll lose yourself every time. I agree with that. And I disagree with that at the same time, because I know mm. emotions are important and um, they lie to us a lot, but they're not completely useless. They're very useful. So as far as learning to control and when to listen to your emotions. Can you kind of talk about that balance a little bit of when you should control your emotions and when you should listen to them? Sure, so, so I have a lot of reactions to that. I have a few thoughts. One is um, from one of the principles of dialectic behavioral therapy, DBT, 
is the idea of a wise mind. There's the idea of that there's the rational mind, there's the emotional mind. And if you think about them as a kind of a Venn diagram, the section that they're overlapping, where you have both an emotional mind and a rational mind, they call that the wise mind. So it's having the two of them together rather than just thinking about them as opposing forces. So that's one set of thoughts that really comes to mind. Another one is that research really shows that when we use our ability to think, when we use our ability to analyze, when we use logic and what we call cognition, try to suppress or put down or ignore or set aside emotions, it really doesn't work. First of all, the emotions come back, they persist. They don't just disappear. Second of all, when they come back, they come back even bigger. They tend to push and they push harder. And so when someone makes a habit of that, and this ties right back into where I was in that story by the time I was hitting high school, what happens is you get more explosions and you get fewer little nitpicky moments. You get fewer little annoyances, but the times that you lose your cool, they are really, really big. And the kind of thought, the question I have is, do you want that dynamic? Do you want that dynamic in your life? Do you want it in your relationships? Do you want it in your work? Do you want it for yourself? Are those, is that dynamic one that helps? And I've really thought a lot about that. I mean, I've thought a lot about emotions. They've been the, the core driving force in my life, mostly because I didn't really have the option or opportunity to really ignore or put them down as much as I tried. They were so big from when I was young that even if I tried to ignore them or set them aside, and even when I tried not to let things be a big deal, they would just show up so big. They'd show up in my body, the, the thoughts would, would repeat over and over again. I would physically feel tense or pain, or I'd feel my heart pounding. I mean, these, and I know many, many people do. It just, it was so, so big. Um, and I will say to kind of close the loop on where we started. So where that ended up taking me was after high school, I took a year off before going to college. And my goal was to figure out what I want to do with my life. And during that year, I did a lot of studying. I did, I did a lot of learning and I did a lot of self-reflection. And what I decided at that time was I wanted to become a psychologist. I figured that I had spent so much time trying to understand this stuff that like, you know, getting some formal education and training uh, would really, really help with that. I also spent so much time trying to build the kind of fundamental building blocks of relationships, what felt like all over again, because I ended up destroying them over and over again, and hurting them and, and messing with them. And my emotions were really not that helpful at the time, because I didn't have the skills. So having worked at that so many times, I felt like, okay, I'm building these skills. Now let me put them to good use. And so I went into college. My first day of college, I declared the major. I, within two years, had taken all the required courses to get my psych degree. And then I was like, okay, now I have two years left. What am I going to do? So I picked up a second major. I picked up a sociology major. Uh, and, that, and then I did a, uh, I did a capstone project on... Uh, I think it was power and uh, power and gender in romantic relationships. 
And it was a really interesting project, not to go too far into it. But as it turns out, there are a lot of different sources of power and there are a lot of different kinds of power. And there are a lot of different ways we can wield them. And how we do that can really affect the quality of our relationship. It was an interesting project. I went straight from there into a doctor program. It was a PhD in counseling psychology, which is a little bit different than clinical in that it was not as focused just on uh, the kind of medical model thinking only about mental illness, but also thinking about the kind of typical developmental trajectories. So the things that we all go through in life as we go from one season to another to another. Uh, and also it's very strength-based, very oriented around the things that in human life and for each of us that we develop as our own strengths and how to understand what they are and harness those things. It's also very focused on multicultural issues and, um, and social justice. So there were a lot of pieces to this program uh, in addition to and very much as part of the core kind of clinical program stuff that I felt was really powerful. I also got a lot of career uh, training and career work, and which has helped me a lot of, as I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and I've worked with a lot of uh, leaders and CEOs and a lot of people who are in the nine to five um, and who bring their work challenges into, into the clinical work. Uh, so I got my PhD in counseling psychology. I got licensed and I'm a licensed psychologist now. I like it. I like it. And I, you know, the best part about that is the fact that I think that this just shows that when we really listen to ourselves, we find the places that we're supposed to be. But you make it, mm -hmm. you make it sound in your story, and I know this isn't accurate, but you make it sound in your story like the path was just laid out to you and it was so easy. And I'm sure that there was some, some struggles that you had to face in there, particularly with emotions and things to that effect. And so um, I just want to highlight that being on the right path and getting to where you want to be doesn't necessarily mean easy and simple and tied up in a bow. Oh, yeah, this is right. <laughs> the story in hindsight looks a lot cleaner than it did in the moments. And there were a lot of those moments. Uh, if I can say one thing, I think something that is really core to the path becoming easier when it did, or maybe not easier, but simpler, is when I really spent more time and energy trying to tune into my feelings instead of trying to tune out my feelings. So it's one of the things I came to realize, and this happened really when I was in high school and I developed this skill of kind of the off switch for my emotions, is whenever I switched my emotions off, I also didn't know what I wanted anymore. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what was important for me to do. I didn't know what success looked like. I didn't know what the next step looked like. I didn't know how to respond to relationships to people who were upset or frustrated to something that I did or didn't do uh, when when it came up when conflict came up when struggle came up so turning off those emotions actually was part of the problem and it wasn't until I ended up in therapy for over a decade and it wasn't until a good chunk through that therapy that I started recognizing and realizing that so much of therapy is about getting in touch with my feelings and understanding exactly where that's coming from and what it means and what it's trying to do. Um, and I really dedicated myself at some point to get a much deeper understanding of emotions and why we have them and what they're trying to do. In fact, I think that most of the time that we get stuck, sometimes it's external. So much of it is when we are ignoring our what our emotions are and our feelings are trying to communicate to us and trying to get us 
to do or to affect, to act in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really important thing as well for people to understand is like our emotions. You mentioned something earlier um, where you talked about your emotions were not helpful to you because you were trying to suppress them. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things to understand is that our emotions have a purpose. And sometimes that purpose is to keep us in our comfort zone and keep us safe. And our perceived safeness isn't always what's best for us. And so that's where I think it comes in that fine line of listening to your emotions and figuring out when you can say, okay, I hear you, but I'm going to push past you. And then there's the other emotions that are really trying to tell you something instinctually isn't right. And you have the um, responsibility to figure out which is which and live your best life. So it's so interesting that you say that. I, if it's okay with you, I might offer a little bit of pushback. I might have yeah, I would love that. that. Uh, and that is for me, I actually paint all emotions with the same brush. I actually, I don't believe there's such a thing as a negative emotion or an undesirable emotion. I think all emotions are positive because all emotions are trying to positively impact your life. Now, understanding how they're trying to do that and why they're trying to do that, and I think a point you made which is really powerful is that every emotion has a purpose. In fact, uh, in my experience and in my expertise, it has three purposes. Every emotion has three. And the first purpose that emotions have is that they give us information. They give us information about ourselves, about our environment, about something that is or is not okay, or would or would either potentially harm us or would nurture us. So they give us tons of information. The second thing that emotions do is they direct us. So emotions don't just give us information, they point us either towards or away. And whether it's towards something or away from something, whether to prevent something or to try to double down and get something, it's absolutely pointing us. And the third thing that emotions do is they motivate us. Without emotion, and I found this out really the hard way personally, and I see it every day in my clinical work, when people shut down their emotions, their motivation also disappears, and it's not by chance. So emotions inform, direct, and motivate us. Those three are incredibly powerful, and understanding that every emotion is doing that means that when you understand, when you know how to tap into that, when you know how to make sense of that, which I'm happy to tell you, and we can use some examples, really powerful examples, then you can actually make the most helpful and the best decisions for you. That's how you know what's important to you. That's how you know what's meaningful. That's how you know what success is. That's how you know where your path goes. It wasn't until I figured that out that I started tapping in that my path got simpler. It didn't get more complicated. It got very busy. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot to move towards and there was stuff to be prepared for and ensure that didn't happen. But all of that was, it felt so meaningful, so purposeful. It was purposeful work. And that to me has been everything. And this is why you do this for a career. And I talk about it on a podcast (laughs) because you you can explain things so eloquently like that. And I think that that's probably 
one of the most important things that people can take from this is that your um, emotions are all there for a purpose to help inform you and, and help motivate you. And you get to then make a decision based upon that. I think that that's, that's a fantastic way to describe it. So thank you for that. Sure. So how long have you been practicing and how are you now taking your knowledge and skills and incorporating that into what I know you're, you're moving out of practice to kind of make a bigger impact. Talk about kind of what your goals are on a bigger level. Yeah, so that's great. Those questions are really awesome. So to start off, so I've been doing clinical work for seven years. Not all of that has been before my license, uh, after I got licensed. There was a good chunk of it that happened before licensure, meaning they're not just going to let us loose on people without giving us training uh, and a lot of supervision. And so there's a lot of, you know, call it training wheels if you want. Um, but I got a lot of guidance and I've had a lot of incredible mentors along the way, each of whom has contributed deeply to my own understanding of the way we are and what's helpful and what both healing, but also what moving forward looks like. And so I want to just acknowledge that. I think it's really important to acknowledge that. It's been maybe even over seven years at this point, seven and a half years of, of clinical experience and uh, mentorship and supervision that I've had. Um, since getting licensed, I don't need to have supervision, but we do, uh, at the practice I work at, have group supervision, which is a great opportunity to talk to other clinicians and understand, get a deeper understanding for myself, my work, uh, and for how to be most helpful to people. So, so that was, I think, something really important to kind of share. I'm also, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm in the process of kind of transitioning. So I mentioned that perhaps about 80% of people who come in talk about work, stuff at work, whether it's their own work, their development at their career, or issues with a boss, or issues with a coworker, or issues with a manager, issues with a company. Uh, I hear it all the time. And I mean like every day, multiple times a day. And so something I came to realize is I've been kind of working with these clients, and I've been at times both coaching and training them, helping them uh, move, through what they're currently addressing or working on or dealing with into positions that are more fulfilling, into positions that are moving them where they want to go, uh, into relationships, whether they're at work or outside, that are more meaningful uh, and more connected, into greater fulfillment. And so something that really workplaces, patterns that are showing up between people who are coming in and struggling with their work and feeling really discouraged or disappointed, feeling really frustrated, angry, resentful, uh, feeling overwhelmed, so much overwhelmed, anxious or afraid of being fired. There's, there's so many of these feelings that show up and it's started to dawn on me that this is a pattern. This isn't just individuals coming in. This is something that's really baked into the fabric of the way we think and relate to work, the way that that many leaders at companies think about employees and work. And I started to think to myself, you know, I could work one person at a time, which is deeply meaningful work to me, or I could start really kind of pushing myself into working with the leader, the people who have more control over these environments, who have a greater say and can make a change in what the workplace looks like. And in fact, I have worked with a number of leaders. I've worked with CEOs, I've worked with founders, I've worked with people who own and run multiple multi-million dollar companies, and 
what they've discovered in this work is that when you understand the fabric of emotions, when you understand the fabric of why we experience feeling overwhelmed, feeling stressed, feeling uh, anxious or afraid we're going to lose our jobs, what the consequences of that is for the, the work that your team does, that your employees do. Uh, and so I've started to think and recognize that if I work with leaders, the impact may not just be with one person. It can end up really kind of rippling out and having effects for 5, 10, 20, 30, and even hundreds or thousands of people across the company. So I'm actually in the process of potentially pivoting and starting to think about that. I mean, I've already spoken with my practice about it, and uh, it's work that, I, that I'm really excited to be doing. Um, and so doing more executive uh, executive coaching, doing training and consulting work, all of which I actually had training in during my grad program. Um, and I've been, in fact, doing a little bit more of uh, in my practice with, like I said, the patients that I, the clients that I've been seeing. Uh, so I'm really excited to see that work happen. And I'm really excited to help people connect with and understand their emotions, not just in the way of like, oh, I'm feeling something, but also to really what direction is it pointing me either towards or away from? And uh, how can I really harness the motivation? Yeah, I think that what you're going to be doing is going to be making such an impact on corporations in general, but also on families. Because we've talked about this a little bit before, but one of the things that I talk about a lot on this podcast is really taking stock in your life to figure out where you're unhappiness is coming from. And, you know, many people think, and I know that you see this all the time in your practice, many people think that it's their relationship or their job or something else that's making them unhappy or mm -hmm. feel unfulfilled. And so they then make changes that are not going to bring the impact that they think it's going to bring mm -hmm. because the deeper problem is something completely unrelated. And many times individuals, you know, the, the basic saying is, you, do, you never leave a job, you leave a leader or you leave a manager. Mm -hmm. And so for individuals who don't necessarily want to be in that entrepreneur world, we can create such a better work environment for them, which then translates into their entire life by teaching corporations how to relate better to their employees. Yeah, it's, it's so powerful what you're saying. First thing is uh, the research actually shows this. Most employers think that their, their employees, the people who leave their jobs, leave because of money. And it's only 12% of people who leave because of money. 89% of people leave because of their leadership. That's exactly what you're saying. Um, and the research backs that up. Um, the other thing I really wanna highlight and point out is what you're talking about is happiness. And happiness, as it turns out, is an emotion. And because it's an emotion, guess what? It gives us information. It gives us direction and it gives us motivation and it has a job. It has a purpose. So one thing I'm going to do for you is actually to outline that. Uh, and really for anyone who's listening, I really invite you to take a moment and think about it. If you're unhappy, whether it's at work or with a relationship or in your life, family, just take a moment and break it down with me. Uh, grab a piece of paper and a pen uh, and just start to kind of pull it apart here because, okay, so here's, here's where we're going to start. So happiness tells you that one of four things is either being met or not. And it is my wants, my needs, my goals, or my dreams. 
So if you are feeling happy, you are feeling happy because a want, a need, a goal, or a dream was just met. Something that you've been working towards and that's important to you. Uh, and that is a little bit complicated in that my wants are not going to be the same as yours, Amber, and they're not going to be the same as yours, the listener. Um, my needs are not going to be the same. We're going to have a lot of overlap, right? I need to eat. You need to eat. That's why, you know, grabbing food with people or grabbing coffee with people is so great because we have shared needs. Uh, my goals are definitely not going to be exactly the same as yours. And my dreams are definitely not. But thinking about it in those terms, if you are unhappy, then there's a reason. It's one of these things is not being met or more. And frequently it's more than one. And so I see this all the time. Someone comes in and they're not happy at work. And so we do an evaluation. Okay, what do you want when it comes to work? What do you need in order to feel fulfilled at work? What are your goals for your work, your career? Where do you want to go? Where's your path? Where do you see yourself 5, 10, 20, 25 years down the line? What are your dreams? If you could have an effect on the world, if you knew that when you left this world that you had an impact, what would that impact be? What was... How big was that impact? How did it reverberate and on whom? whom? It's such an important, powerful thing to take a look at because happiness, as it turns out, there's different definitions for this, but there are two different emotion words that get used, happiness and joy. Happiness is episodic. Episodic means it happens just in that moment. That's why happiness is fleeting. That's why when people want to feel happy, what they do is they go to a Starbucks and they get themselves uh, it's not the season, but if it is the season, they'll get themselves a pumpkin spice latte or otherwise they'll get themselves a favorite drink and they'll also get themselves a banana nut muffin or whatever other muffin, chocolate chip muffin or blueberry muffin or whatever it is. We are frequently, when we want to feel happy, we run around seeking a want or a need. It isn't always the case because if we're unhappy, it might be a different want or a different need that is not being met. And then we're misdirecting. We're actually trying to not pay attention to our happiness and trying to distract ourselves with something else. And that's when we're not tapped in, that's when we're tapped out of an emotion. And therein lies a really big problem. That's when we're not actually listening. And trust me, I'm an expert in this because I've done it. I've done it six ways to Tuesday. And so really understanding that is a very important piece of this. So that's the first kind of, of emotion around that, it's happiness. Now I'm gonna give you another metaphor. So if you think about a canvas, a blank canvas, and you're a painter and you have two brushes and two colors, and you pick them. One color is for when you have a want, a need, a goal, or a dream that gets met. Every time that happens, you dip your brush into that paint, choose a color in your own mind, right? And mentally dip it and put it up on that canvas. And when you put it up on that canvas, over time, you are dipping a brush and you're, you're just putting it on the canvas for every time that you have a want, a need, a goal, or a dream that's being met, that was just met. Now, every time you have one of those that is not met, you have a second brush and a second color. And so every time you have a want, a need, a goal, or a dream and it is not met, that brush goes, gets dipped into that second color and your canvas gets a dot of that color. So that's happiness is just those moments, happiness and unhappiness. But now, visually, mentally, take a step back and look at your canvas. What color is it? How does it look? Is it full of the dots that represent your happiness, your goals, your wants, your needs, 
your dreams, is it all those being met? Is that the predominant color or is it not? And the word we have for that, the emotion that tells us that is joy. Joy is whether my life is full of the color, that's happiness, or is full of the color, that's unhappiness. I feel like I'm taking notes and getting life lessons right now. So thank you for that. Um, I love that so much. And that actually, I'm going to go a little bit out of order on something that I, that I normally ask every guest because it ties so well into what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. But I am, I, I have a very, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what I believe my relationship is to success and fulfillment. And much mm-hmm. of that comes from my personal story of not feeling successful or fulfilled. And um, so I always ask every single one of my guests what you think that relationship is. Does success come first followed by fulfillment or does being fulfilled make you feel successful? And what's your opinion on that? That is a great question. I think like many things, it's about your relationship with the emotions that come along with it. So when I hear success and fulfillment, I actually hear two different emotions. Success is the emotion that I think about is when we feel proud, when we accomplish something. Um, And when we think about it, traditionally, the way a lot of people define success is with a big pile of accomplishments. It's having a bunch of things. It's whether it's my degree or my Uh, my level or in the management structure, or if it's whether or not I started a company, or if it's my company reached X amount of revenue, uh, whether it's the car that I drive or the partner that I married, it's all of these accomplishments. That's the way I think most people think about success. And I think that's really about your relationship with the emotion of feeling proud. It's about when we feel like we have done something that was both challenging, but also moved us forward, that got us somewhere. So that is how I think about success. I think fulfillment is very different. Fulfillment is about the joy. Fulfillment is about taking a step back and looking at my canvas. And it is those moments that are happy. It's about the presence in those moments. But really, I think it is very much more. Fulfillment is about when I take a step back and think about my life or when I'm in the middle of my life, in that moment, how does that feel to me? Am I feeling like my cup is brimming? That's fulfilled. Do I feel like my cup is empty, right? Is the color on the canvas the color of happiness? Is it lots of dots of happiness? Or is that color a bunch of dots of unhappiness? And I think they're two different things. And I think they're both deeply important and you can get both simultaneously if you cultivate those relationships, if you understand those emotions. And also the really cool thing you can do, and I'm about to do this for you and for for your audience, for you, the listener, is you can reverse engineer this. Because when you understand that success is about my accomplishments, you can start with what are the accomplishments that I would like to make and work your way back into feeling successful. You work your way back by creating those steps and every time you take a, even a tiny step along that path, a small step on that path, you get to choose to give yourself credit. You get to feel proud for the small accomplishment, for moving towards that goal, that dream. And when you do that, 
because you can work backwards as you're walking forwards through your life, through your career. You get to feel successful across the path over and over and over again. And the same thing for fulfilled. Now I'm going to add another little pro tip, which is returning to that canvas, that happiness and the joy canvas. So a lot of people talk about gratitude and how gratitude has this kind of secret power to make us more joyful in our lives. And I'm about to explain why. It's because gratitude as an emotion, what it does, gratitude is when I, I walk up to my canvas and I pick one of those dots that I colored in with a happy color and I focus on it. And because I'm focusing on it, I actually grow that dot bigger. I think about it. I talk about it. I say to someone else, thank you. Thank you for helping me or thank you for being a part of my accomplishment. Thank you for uh, teaching me something. Thank you for helping me build a skill. Thank you for bringing a casserole over to dinner. Those moments, those moments of recognizing when someone else has contributed to me fulfilling my wants, my needs, my goals, my dreams, it takes that little dot of happiness and actually blows it up and makes it bigger. And when you do that on a daily basis with many of those moments throughout the day, when you step back, your canvas is going to look like joy. It's just going to be completely covered up in the color. And that's why gratitude has such an effect, has such an impact on us feeling joy. And I think us feeling fulfilled. You don't find people who are grateful who say they are unfulfilled. I feel like I'm doing my listeners a disservice by talking and I should just let you go for an hour. Like every time we talk, I just feel like I've learned so much and this is no different. I love the way that you're able to articulate all of that out into a way that's easy for people to understand. And I will say that similar to what you were talking about as far as the reverse engineering your feelings, that was a huge impact for me where I was at an event and somebody said, I wish people would stop focusing on the career they want to have and focus on the life they want to have instead and then figure out what gets them there. Because mm -hmm. for me, I am definitely that person that has racked up accomplishment after accomplishment after accomplishment and then tried to figure out why I feel so empty. And then that's mm -hmm. where this podcast came from is a way to kind of share my three years of um, self painful development and mm. learning and all of that stuff. But that was a huge moment for me to hear somebody say like, start at the end point and then figure out what gets you there because there's a million different paths that get you to that end point. And I think that this goes into a whole nother topic of being so tunnel visioned on what we think is going to make us happy that we forget to see all of the other options that are out there that might number one, get us to that place, but number two, get us there faster, more efficiently so that we can start getting to the next place. And so that was huge for me, that reverse engineering idea. And I really thank you for sharing that with everybody. Sure. Absolutely. So, so what, oh, go I'm ahead. Hearing, what I'm hearing, Amber, is that for you, you were racking up success, but you were feeling unfulfilled because you were getting accomplishments and each accomplishment is something to be proud of. But at the time you weren't really happy because you're wants, your needs, your goals or dreams, or some amount of those were not being fulfilled, even though you were making accomplishments. 
Absolutely. And I actually did a podcast episode about that a while back, um, about the difference between um, accomplishment during versus purpose. Um, and if mm -hmm. anybody's listening and wants to go back and, and listen to that, it's episode 51. But I talked exactly about that, about we rack up accomplishments and we get this feeling of success, but that this idea of true success that leads to fulfillment comes with a purpose behind it. And mm -hmm. from taking those accomplishments and making sure that they're all going in the same direction for the same purpose, not just a bunch of different accomplishments to say we did it. And it was actually really interesting when I was doing the research for that, because as I looked up the dictionary definition for those two things, it made so much sense to me mm. that your accomplishments were just doing things and, and getting them done. And then your your success was getting them done with a purpose. And that mm -hmm. answered so many questions. And so I think that goes along with exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So speaking of success, I truly believe that everybody has their own definition of it and that we are not always trained to listen to it. And so that's something that kind of comes down the road when we realize that we might not be steering our boat in the direction we want it to go. But what is your individual definition of success and how has that changed for you throughout your life if it has? So just to be clear, we're talking about success, not fulfillment. Oh, well now I got to think about my whole question lineup. Um, <laughs> yes, let's go success. Sure. So success to me is every time I help someone make better sense of what their own wants, needs, goals, and dreams are and move towards those things. Ideally, with a really clear, specific plan that is in steps that are manageable, that are implementable, that get them moving, that, that keep them motivated, right? that keep them tuned in, so every time that happens, I am through the moon. I feel successful. Um, it's a little separate than fulfillment, but those, are, those moments are moments of accomplishment. Every time I see that, every time I help someone with that, it is, that is success to me. I love it. So we're getting to a point where I want to kind of wind down a little bit, but I have this sneaking feeling that this is not the last time that my guests are going to hear from you because you have so much to talk about. And I could think of so many topic episodes that you and I could do together. And so I'm looking forward to potentially having you on if you are interested on multiple episodes down the road, because I think that this has been so valuable. I would love that. That sounds amazing. And yeah, especially... we can definitely make that happen. Yeah. Especially if your listeners, uh, if you out there listening, if you have concerns or questions or there are emotions that don't make sense or you'd like more clarity on, feel free to ask, feel free to, you know, reach out. Uh, and I would love to talk about them. Absolutely. So with else? that being said, that's a great segue into how can people contact you if they would like to do that, whether it's a company that wants to work with you or an individual that wants to connect with you based upon what they heard in this podcast, what is the best way for somebody to reach you? Yeah, so currently I think the best way to reach me probably is through Instagram at Dr. Yishai. Perfect. And I will be incoming, I will be putting together a website. Um, I do plan on doing speaking and corporate work. And when that's all up, I'm happy to share that with you and uh, we can get those info, that info updated. 
Yes, please do, because we can uh, make sure that we get that website information into the show notes and things to that effect as well. So before we wrap up, I would like to do a quick random round and kind of let everybody get to know you if you're okay with that. Oh, I'd love that. All right. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? That's a great question. So when I was five years old, I decided I wanted to be an inventor. Uh, and so I think that would be a great one. Um, I think to some degree, I'm an innovator and I always have been. I think I brought that into the profession I'm currently in, uh, in the way that I started to think about and understand and talk about emotions. Uh, I think it's a bit of a radically different way of understanding emotions. Uh, and so maybe at heart, I am a little bit of an inventor. I definitely, I definitely think you are. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I foresee like YouTube channels with like mm-hmm. caricatures and your descriptions of emotions. Like it's so, mm-hmm. um, it's so graphic in my mind when you talk, mm-hmm. it's so um, visual and vivid that, and I've never heard anybody explain it like that. And I think you have to have an inventor's type mind to create that type of a visual Mm. reaction when you talk about things. So I could see that. Um, If you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, Where would I go and why? I think this is going to sound a little narcissistic. I would love to go to the future. And the reason I'd love to go to the future is it is so important to me that we live in a future where we all tap into our emotions, both both the ones that are really uncomfortable, the so-called negative ones. Um, And again, I don't believe in negative emotions. I think the emotions can be incredibly uncomfortable, but they're not negative. Uh, That's a a judgment. Um, But I, I just, I would love to see a world and it's so important to me and I will do everything in my power in my lifetime to create a world and, and where we tap into and understand our emotions, where, we understand their purpose, their purpose is, and that we're constantly really engaging with those things because it's so powerful when you do. So, so powerful. So I would love to go to the future, maybe 50 years or 100 years, maybe after I die. Uh, And I would love to see a world where people are doing that all the time with each other at work, with their families, uh, everywhere. I love that answer. And I have a sidebar question for you. So pause random round for a minute. I feel like we as a society are becoming more open and in tune to the idea of expressing our emotions and being in touch with them. But Mm -hmm. I also believe that I think that because the last three years, I have been more in tune to my emotions. And so that's where I'm placing myself. So from somebody who sees it from a career standpoint, do you believe that we as a society are moving into an area where it's more um, okay to talk about your emotions in a public setting? Or is that still kind of taboo in most of the non-personal development world? I love that question. And I think there are multiple answers to that question. So the one answer I think is yes, because you see people going more and more into the self-development world, meaning the fact that that world exists, I think is a testament to the movement of being more connected to our emotions. And I think it's the same thing around mental health. The fact that mental health is growing and has been on college campuses, it's more acceptable uh, and it's getting more coverage, whether that's for insurance or companies 
uh, a lot of workplaces are now more open to if a if a if someone working there says they need to see uh, a therapist, they will actually allow them to go during the workday. And so I think all of those are a testament to us being more accepting and more open to it. I think there's another side of that, which is a bit of a, perhaps you can call it a darker side, which is there are a lot of spaces where it is not okay to talk about your emotions. And I frequently actually coach people, especially in corporate settings, to specifically talk about emotions in language that is not emotional, in the informational language, in the directing language, in the language of motivation, which is different language, but gets at the same message. And it can be really powerful, the fact that we don't use emotion language most of the time in our workplace, uh, and that it's not often acceptable, I think really is a testament to there being a lot of spaces where it isn't okay yet. Goal is to change that. Yes, yes it is, and I love that you're on that mission. I love that you're on that mission. And I appreciate your answer because I, I had said that to a bunch of people that I felt like we were becoming more willing to open up to our emotions. And then it hit me maybe a, two or three weeks ago that I felt that way because that's who I was surrounding myself with. And mm -hmm. the people that I was surrounding myself with were more vulnerable and authentic about what they had been through. And so then you kind of like you you only have this perspective of what you see at that point in time. And I had kind mm -hmm. of left that closed off perspective behind. So I love your input on that. I think that that's sure. really helpful. Okay. Back to the random round. The, what personality trait has been most helpful for you throughout your life? And conversely, they may be the same. What personality trait has been the most, I don't want to say detrimental, but maybe gotten you in the most trouble? <laughs> yeah. So uh, for the first one, I would think curiosity, which is actually an emotion, but it's one that I experience all the time. Um, I think curiosity is a master key. It opens up locks to so many different things, including lots of our emotions, but also all kinds of information and skills and the pursuit of what it is that is important to us. And it shows so much and it so motivates us. And that's something that I have just a, a deep, deep well of curiosity in me. I don't think I'm ever going to stop being curious, whether it's about emotions, about work, about you know anything and everything, about people. Um, and so I think that's been incredible in terms of serving me. Um, I think on the flip side, something that has gotten me in trouble at times is there are times that I can be a little bit inflexible, or maybe inflexible isn't the word, uh, stubborn, <laughs> maybe. Um, when I have a sense of something that works for me or something that I think works really well, I can have very deep convictions. And I think some of that comes from the curiosity and the seeking the knowledge. And when I finally feel like I got it, like this, you know, like this holy thing that I finally got my hands around, I finally wrapped my brain around, that uh, it can be hard for me at times to let go of that. I like it. I like it. So when you consume books, when you're reading books, do you like the physical book or do you listen to audiobooks? Oh, that's a great question. So I really like physical books, but I find that I love to listen to audio on two times fast. Um, double the speed is definitely my speed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I really like to pause and think about things or think about them afterwards. So I'll, I'll, when I listen, which is usually when I'm listening to podcasts, um, is the material I tend to consume in audio format. Um, but when I listen to that, 
that kind of content. I love to just take in, take in, take in, take in. And then either when it's done or partway through, or if there's a really important point to pause and then spend five, 10, 20 minutes just thinking and pondering and letting my curiosity just run amok. But on the other hand, I really love the physical, being able to hold a book, being able to look at it, being able to dog ear the pages and star things and just put it also, you know, put it side by side with a notebook and take notes. And there's something about engaging in the physical part of it that to me is, is a deep part of learning. And so I think I'm a tactile learner, but I'm also a very like audio thinking learner. So I just, I use all the, all the different modalities. Any way I can get information into my head, that comes back to the curiosity. Any way I can get information in there and learn and understand. It's about understanding. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you on all of those points. So sticking on the book topic, what book would you gift to somebody that you thought would be most impactful to their life? Depends on the person and depends on what they're looking for and what they need. There are a few that I really, really like. One of them is uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Really, really, really powerful. Um, Another one is actually one I recently picked up, which I really, really like, is B.J. Fogg's uh, Tiny Habits, which is a really, really impactful one, um, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. I'm actually not done with it, but I'm already thinking about giving it to a bunch of people. Um, a third one is Carol Dweck's Mindset. That one's a very powerful book. Um, I think it hammers the point over and over in so many different areas. Um, so that's one that I'm frequently recommending. Um, those are three really good ones. There's another one, but it's a textbook and it's incredibly dense. <laughs> it is definitely, it, it's something that once I had started down this road and I picked up, it was just like validation of everything that I've come to know, uh, is it's called the function of emotions. It is literally a textbook with lots and lots of research studies on emotions, when and why they work, uh, or <laughs> And so it's, it's, it's just an incredibly powerful. I, almost every page on there is dog-eared and I have lots of notes in there. And I just, that thing is kind of like my emotion Bible right now. Um, That's amazing. So I'll let you hold on to the research and I'll take the other three suggestions. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't normally shy away from research um, in the legal field, but I it's don't know. Tense. I enjoy learning about emotions though. Yeah. Um, I'm a music nerd. Do you have a pump up song? Do you have a song that kind of gets you motivated or? Um, that's a good question. So I recently discovered, I think they're called AJR. Okay. Uh, which is a band that I discovered on Spotify and I just find them and I let loose on them, uh, because all their music is, it just, they put together a lot of different genres and they do it in a way that feels like you just have like such authentic moments of those genres and then they all come clashing together and then they fit. Um, so I'm really, really jamming to AJR right now. I like it. And last but definitely not least, do you have a morning routine? And if you do, can you give us a glimpse into that? Yes. So I do have a morning routine. The first glimpse I'm going to give you is that it is not consistent. Uh, it's not consistently consistent, meaning it's really important to me and I love it. And it's also really challenging and my schedule, as much as I try to defend it, doesn't always allow me to do that. Um, when I'm on my morning routine, I wake up at 5.30. Uh, I do exercise. Um, I take some time to pray uh, and or meditate. 
I spend significant time thinking. I have a couple exercises I do. I do a, grat a gratitude exercise. I do a goal setting exercise, uh, which I know I talked about some of those emotions. Um, so I find a way to feel proud in the morning and a way I can feel proud at night. Um, and I also uh, think about how my needs have been met by the people around me, including my incredible wife. Um, I'm constantly, constantly thinking about. Um, and then I make my breakfast. I check my schedule and kind of, again, a little bit of goal setting for the day. Uh, and then I'm headed out. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. So Instagram is the best place to find you. We'll get your website mm -hmm. up in the show notes when it's available. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to share so much insight. I think this has been so valuable and I thank you so much for it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm really excited. Uh, and if you'll have me on, I would love to come back. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.